Now after that performance, you always got to ask yourself as a pastor, would it be best just to pray and leave it at that? Because I'm not sure the sermon is as good as that singing. So, uh, but our lesson is going to come out of the book of Luke, chapter 14, starting at verse 25, going to 33. Uh, real quick, as you uh, turn there, or it's up on the screen, uh, real quick, a call to ministry. You all kind of get to learn Tammy and I. Uh, when I was in high school, I was involved by two last few years of high school when I could drive. I was involved in a Presbyterian church. Uh, and Clyde Miller was the pastor, and he tried to talk me into, he said, man, you got a call for ministry, you need to join the ministry, and had it all arranged, and well, of course, I didn't do that, I joined the Air Force, uh, which is probably, at the time, a better decision, depending on how you look at that, but then as I got involved in the Air Force, I was an aircraft maintenance guy, but I always worked with the chaplain, I was always a chaplain, we deployed, we did things, there's one particular chaplain you hear me talk about quite a bit, we just seemed to be at the same base together quite a bit, this Jerry Pitts, and he really influenced my life, but he's always telling me, you know, Larry, you're called to the ministry, you're called to the ministry, and I was involved in ministry, him and I, we had a lot of different ministries, depending on the base we were at, outreach ministries and different things, but you know, he'd sit there and talk about this call to ministry. Number one, I never thought I was good enough. And I've come later, I learned about, when I really become friends with a lot of pastors and chaplains, I realize they're all just as crazy as everybody else. Uh, uh, you might think that the pastor and his family are up here on the pedestal, we're not. Just, I'm just going to be real honest with you. You come at the house at the right time, wrong time, however you want to word that, uh, don't tell them what you, you'll hear. We struggle like you struggle. Don't put us on a pedestal. Uh, we have our shortcomings, we have our downfalls, we have our, our doubts and everything else. We're just no different. Uh, we're just like, I'm called to be the pastor of the church. But one of the things I was reluctant to join ministry or full-time ministry or pulpit ministry, however you want to see it, because I thought I was going to have to give up too much. I mean, I used to be, before being married to Tammy, and I just didn't marry to Tammy, didn't change that, but... Uh, I used to be a gun nut kind of guy. I was an FFL dealer. I shot guns. I was in the competition pistol shooting and, and rifle shooting. I had cars. I had old cars. I had drag cars. I drag raced motorcycles. I had motorcycles. I had ham radio. I had RC airplane. They used to call me Mr. Toy. And my brothers literally did. And, uh, and I feared if I got involved with ministry... Because you got to get rid of all that stuff. Because you got to be up and proper, and you know you're you're a pastor or you're involved in the ministry. You can't have fun. I mean, I mean, this is the truth. I'm telling you the truth. What I learned is, is that yeah, you can uh, give it all to God, and what He has you do with it is what He has you do with it. I don't do the guns anymore. I wear it sometimes do ham radios. Obviously, you know, I still got a motorcycle. I don't have the cars, but I don't miss those things. Because God has replaced it with something else. But what I learned is, and actually it was through guns, as one of the chaplains that showed up also shot guns when I was up in Idaho. And we, we did IPSC pistol shooting together. And he made, he turned his gun hobby into a Christian ministry. When I was in another church, Ham Radio, we used Ham Radio to reach the kids and the youth that liked computers and electronics and communications. We turned our hobbies over to God. And we let God control, we use them for the glory of his glory. I do that with motorcycles today. Uh, I've been part of the CMA and uh, the Christian Motorcycle Association and the United, uh, United Methodist Motorcycle Association. I use my motorcycle for the ministry of the Lord. 
And, and, and so that's what we're, we're kind of getting here to the point with Jesus. Let me read the scripture to you and then we'll move on. Uh, Luke chapter 14, starting at verse 25. It's on the screen or it's in your Bible. Uh, now a great multitude went with him and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and his mother, his wife and his children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me, he cannot be my disciple. For which of you, uh, intending to build a tower, does not sit down, first count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it? least after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock, saying, the, the man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going to make war against another king does not sit down and first consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet he who comes against him with 20,000? Or as while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and ask conditions of peace. So likewise, whoever, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be, that he cannot be my disciple. This is the word of God for the people of God. Man, that's a hard lesson, is it not? And if you take it literally, this is probably one of the few times I will say Jesus is stamping out a point at a drastic level. Because to hate your mother and father would go against Deuteronomic law. And that would be wrong. And Jesus would be wrong. But what Jesus, the point Jesus is really trying to make here is Christ number one in your life. Above your mother and father, above your husband, above your wife, above your children, above your job, above your money, above your hobbies, above everything else in your life is Christ number one in your life. If it's not, how dare you call yourself a Christian? Because God is a jealous God. He wants to be number one. You can still have those things, but Christ needs to be number one. And that is the question, and we could really just cut the sermon right there. Uh, but you all would need a little longer than that, so we're going to go a little further than that. Is Christ, that's the great question, is Christ number one in your life? Is he number one in your life? When you woke up this morning, what was your first thought? What did you think about when you wake up this morning? What did you think about when you were coming to church? I, I'm telling you, uh, when Tammy and I are on vacation or something, we miss a Sunday... Uh, we still go to church. 99% of the time we still go to church because I'm excited about church. And a lot of times I'll take a vacation to go to somebody else's church just because I want to be served instead of be the one that serves just because I'm excited about it. I'm excited about being in the house of the Lord. I don't mean to sound uh, Mr. Religious or nothing because I'm not, but I'm excited about being here. I'm excited about being a pastor. I'm excited about serving God. Do I do it perfectly? By all means, no. Uh, there's got to be a lot of grace and a lot of forgiveness in my ministry. But the point Jesus is making here, and this is the, the overall point you need to hear, is God number one in your life. You know, God uses this covenant, the marriage covenant, as an example of how he and I are supposed to serve one another. In 1 Corinthians, uh, it tells about, he used the whole thing about marriage here. 
And one of the things it says there is that the husband's body no longer belongs to him, it belongs to the wife, and the wife's body no longer belongs to her, it belongs to the husband. And, and also, you know, and I'm just going to paraphrase this, two become one, and, it, and what it really means there is not that you can abuse the other person, you two are supposed to join together, be one, and work as one as a team going along. No different than when we gave our life up to join Christ. We gave up our life to be one with Jesus. And, and that's the whole thing about coming, coming together with Jesus is when we call Jesus Lord and Master. And we said, we, I realize, I recognize that I need God in my life. I need the forgiveness of sins. I need the mercy and I need the grace. And I'm going to give my life over to Christ. What we really said was, Lord, I am now yours. Most of the letters that Paul writes, the epistles of Paul, most of them start off with bondservant, the bondservant of Jesus Christ. The bondservant of Christ. And what that means in the most basic form is slave. Think about slavery. I know it's kind of a, a taboo subject. In the way we did it, it might have been a taboo way. But when you're a slave, you actually don't you know, think about slavery. The slave belonged to the farmhand or the landowner or whoever he belonged to. There is no difference than this. Paul's saying that I have been purchased for a price. I no longer belong to myself. I belong to Jesus Christ. I am his bondservant. And wherever he sends me, wherever he, I go, I will do what he tells me to do. In the song we just sung, the song Trust and Obey, did we not sit there and say where, what he says we will do? Where he sends we will go? I will only trust and obey. How many of us really believe that? How many are today willing to stop everything and go where Jesus sends you? Jesus needs missionaries in Syria. Iraq. Got one? Iraq. Iran. You might not be coming back because I'm going to trust and obey in God that he's going to control everything I do. See, we've tried to put God so many times, and this is the message he's sending to us. We try to put God in this box. Okay, God, I'm yours as long as you don't interfere with my job. Unless I lose my job, God, then I'm going to need to pray to you to get another one to keep my lifestyle the same. God, I'm yours until, and we have this box. We have this box. I have seen parents that their children are really their idols. I have seen wives where it's their husband and husband it's their wife. Uh, and, and that's what they live for. We are to live for God. And we are to, like in our, in our marriage and just as in our friendships, we are to serve each other as Christ serves us. Think about just the church. Not your home life. Not your work life. Not any of your school life or wherever else you are. Just think if we started treating each other like we were treating, we met Christ. Every person in the church, if we talked to them and acted as if that was Jesus in the flesh talking to us, how much different would we treat each other? How much difference would we think of each other? And is that person not have Christ in them through the power of the Holy Spirit? And now, now take that same motto as treating each other like Jesus, take it to your home, to your spouse. Take it to your workplace and your work people and your boss. Take it to school. Take it with you wherever you go that each person you meet, you treat as if you're talking to Jesus himself. How much different would our community be? 
How many problems go come into the problem is pride. The pride is one of the things that would fall. Somebody cuts you off in traffic. Now, this, I, I, I bring this up because I used to be the worst one here with road rage. I mean, I just bring that up to you. I used to be number one with it. I'm not talking about anybody else here but myself. I used to be the one, if you cut me off in traffic, I always used to try to keep a car that had a big engine in it, and I always kind of had this lead foot, and I had this finger that always showed the way. And uh, I'd always be pointing to Jesus when I drove by you. <laughs> I'm, just telling you the, I'm just telling you the truth. Uh, how much difference it would be is when somebody wronged us, we showed grace and mercy as Christ has shown us grace and mercy. How much difference would it be? How much would it be? The cost, there is a cost to ministry. There is a personal cost to ministry. When you join the ministry, and I don't mean pulpit ministry, I mean when we join the body of Christ, as we had here today, and of course Irene has already been baptized and saved, but when we join, she joins this church. But when we join the body of Christ, when I'm talking about the universal church, the Holy Catholic Church with the little C, you, uh, the church, the whole church there, when we join that church, there is a cost. And the cost is our life. Everything we own, everything we have, everything about us no longer belongs to us. It belongs to God. I was listening last, uh, last Sunday night, I was playing with the baby, the motorcycle, washing it, waxing it, and all that good stuff, you know. And so I'm there, and I got Charles Stanley on. I got WAF radio station, 101.1. Sunday night, I got the list of great preachers. And Charles Stanley is one of my favorite. I love Charles Stanley. So Charles Stanley on. And I don't remember the whole sermon. I just remember this one point that he made. He says, when you said that, Lord, you are my Lord and my master, you gave up the right to your own life. You will go where you are told. You will do what you were told. If God says sit and be quiet, you will sit and be quiet. If he says stand and speak, you will stand and speak. If he says go and teach, you will go and teach. If he says go and witness, you will go and witness. You no longer have a choice if you call yourself a Christian and that Christ is your Lord. And so that's really where we're at. That's really where we're at in this whole thing. Is Christ really your Lord and Master? I'm not saying whether or not you profess Christ as your Lord and Master. I'm going, to, I'm going to accept the fact that most of you have. Are you living the life that Christ is your Lord and Master? That's the question. You know, Matthew chapter 10 verse 38 says, Jesus tells us to pick up our cross and follow, and follow him. It's no longer about you, it's about God. Uh, Rick Warren's Purpose Driven uh, Church book, the very first thing about it. It's no longer about you, it's about God. And, and go along, Walmart. I can't remember the book I read. I read a lot of books, but I, I, I read this book. And it was talking about the servanthood of Christ. And, and he compared it to a Walmart worker. I know that's kind of a bad subject there, but a Walmart worker, the guy or the gal has a little blue vest. Now they're yellow. I don't know why they changed color, but it's a yellow vest. Now, when you walk in, what is on the back of that vest, and what do they normally say to you? How may I help you? How may I help you? Because when the person joined the team of Walmart, they stopped being a customer and they started being an employee. I use the analogy of joining the military. Those who have been in the military, regardless of branch of service, I was in the Air Force. You know, there was a day, there was a day when I raised my hand and I swore in allegiance to the country and to my service. I stopped being an individual and I become 
a, a military member. <clears throat> I gave up a lot of rights to serve my country to protect other people's rights. And does anybody know, some of these my military people, what does GI stand for? I asked this in the first service. Somebody knew. Go ahead. Government issue. Government issue. Or general issue. Government issue. You are just a number in the government. I, mean, I hate to bring it up that way. You're just a number in the government. And, and, and if you don't like it, you mess up and you get kicked out, there's about a thousand more basic training waiting to take your place. But you're government issue. You give up your rights, a lot of your rights, to serve the rights of others. You know, you give up your rights to, so that somebody can have the right to protest the president, whether president it is or whatever. You can't do it, but they can. And you're there to defend them to do it. And, that, and that's what it is. It's all of a sudden, it's no longer about us being in the military. It's about what is great for the country, what is good for others. And, uh, and the thing last night, I, I mentioned up at the beginning here, the paratrooper models, we do this so others may live. They give their life. Literally, many of them, pararescue people, give their life so others can live. Is that not the motto of the church should be? I'm going to write a whole sermon on the pararescue thing. Is that not what the motto of the church should be? That what we do today, how we worship today, how we go out and witness in our belief in Christ, we do all that we do because we've got a hunger for the lost, and we do it because we want to see the lost come to heaven with us, and we give our life. Many people, Christians and missionaries, give their life so others may have eternal life. What a, what a thing to think about there. What a thing about there. Let me tell you real quick the biggest lies. I talked a little bit about this last week on the, on the spiritual warfare. And I kind of just hung on the church. Let me tell you about some of the biggest lies that the devil has told us. Number one, that the, many people don't believe the devil's real. The devil's real. Uh, the devil's lie is hell's not real. Or if God is a loving God, why would he send you to hell? It's a lie, people. God does never sins anybody. God's word says that he wishes all would, would repent, all would come and confess him, all would enter in the kingdom of heaven. That's God's goal, is that all humanity enters the kingdom of heaven. But the reality is, is many reject him. It's not God that sends us there, it's our choice. He honors our choice. Uh, the other thing is, is everyone's going to heaven. Uh, you get some of the denominations or the other churches kind of believe that. they got purgatory and all that stuff. Everyone's going to heaven. Uh, it's only those who not only confess Christ as their Savior, but live for Christ as their Savior is going to heaven. Uh, the cross, the other lie is, and this is where the church gets in trouble, the cross is all you need. I love the song, The Old Rugged Cross. I'm not sure if that's our last song or not. But, and The Old Rugged Cross, well, one thing, it's a great, great theological song, but one of the things about it is, is I'm just going to stay at the old rugged cross. And that has become a motto of the church. Uh, when Paul says, he tells us in uh, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, verse 17, if you're taking notes, is that when I gave my life to Christ, I became what? A new creation. I died to the old life. This is what baptism, the symbol of baptism, there's more to that than the symbol, but the symbol of baptism is that I die to the old life and I rise to be with Christ, right? That's our, that's our symbolization there. That the old Larry and the old man has died away and the new man comes. Not that we don't have hiccups in the road because we live in a fallen world. And, and so we're, we're going along there that I live for Christ now. Christ is my new Lord and Master because before you were baptized, it was the devil. You can only work for two people. It's either the devil or Christ. And whatever you're doing is either promoting one or the other. There is no middle ground. Or I'm just going to be neutral. There is no neutral ground. 
It's either you're living for Christ or you're living for the devil. And so when we say we belong to Christ, we say we're a new creation, we're born again, and we're to live for Christ in all that we do. But the devil sits there and says, ah, you don't need to do anything. The biggest lie the devil tells us is, oh, if you confess your sins and believe in God, you can sit in church and do nothing. Or you can sit at home and watch NASCAR, Super Bowl, or the football, whatever else is on TV right now. It's okay. It is a lie, people. It is a lie that the devil has to sit back and has brought apathy into the church. We, the church, we have a job to do. The job to do in Revelation chapter two, the first church is Ephesus. Other than Tammy and a couple other people might have heard the first sermon. Uh, what was wrong with Ephesus church? Does anybody know? Real quick, see if you know your Bible. Real quick, Ephesus. God says, "I got this one thing against you." What? No, that's the, that's the last church. That's the seventh church. All right. He says, "You have forgotten your first love. You have you left your first love." Many of us look at that and say they, they drew away from God. That's not the case because all the other things they're doing is about God. They drew away from, they, they lost their heart for the lost. Remember God says, you got to love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and body and love your neighbor as yourself. It's really one commandment is the, our neighbor, the lost people is our neighbor. And our neighbor, we got to love them and we got to try to get them into the kingdom of heaven because God's plan is that all people will know him before they perish. Uh, and so on that deal is they lost their heart for the lost. And that starts the whole slide of all seven churches. We'll talk about that some other day. But here we got to realize that the devil says, oh, just don't worry about it. Just don't worry about it. Paul tells us, the scripture tells us something together that we are to uh, go along in all of our works. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 13, it says, tells us all of the works, all the things you have done since you confessed Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior will be put to the fire. And what comes out of the fire is your reward in heaven. What comes out of the fire is your reward in heaven. So all the things that we do, there's work to be done. That's the whole thing here. So there's work to be done. Uh, you must die to yourself and rise with Christ and work with Christ in all the things of redeeming the world. Uh, Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, you'll hear me quote this many times. I don't even need to turn to the page. Not everybody says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. How scary is those words? To think about all I've done, I come to church, you know, in my case, I proclaim the gospel, I've done all those things, to stand in front of the gate, stand there in the throne, and you can see heaven on the other side, the new heaven and new earth, and you're standing there, you got the smile on your face, and Jesus looks at you. Sorry, son. I know you said, Lord, Lord, but you didn't follow me. You were wretched in all that you did, cast into everlasting fire and hell. What a sad, sad day that will be. We need to make sure our motives are right. Our motives are right. So what do we do? Okay, what do we do? We're right on time here. What do we do? As we close, for the music people, as we get ready to close, so what do I do? Number one, you need to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You're going to hear me pound this out, pound this out many times, because I've had people come to church their whole life, and I'll tell a story later about a guy Went to church his whole life. At 89 years old, he accepts Christ, but he thought he was saved. Honestly, it's the thing between you and Christ. Do you know that Christ has forgiven your sins? You got assurance of your salvation. Don't leave here unless you know that. Uh, number two, if you haven't been working for Christ, you haven't been working with the church, 
Uh, God is great and free in mercy. Repent. Repent and believe and, and get busy. Number three, I'm sticking it under that thing of attitude. Uh, I'm one of those big people is if you've got a positive attitude, we can get through anything. Uh, you've got to have a positive attitude. With that positive attitude, get busy involved. Man, I was there Wednesday night when these kids showed up. And, and I was like, holy mackerel, praise the Lord for Brian and all you others that helped with those kids. Uh, just praise the Lord for that because those were a bunch of kids. And, uh, but it was a great time. They did scavenger hunt. It was a great time. They were involved. Uh, get involved. Get involved in the church. This is your body of Christ. Uh, God has a purpose for everyone. If you don't have a job in the church, see me, I'll give you one. I'm great at that thing. Russ, we talk, we've already been talking about giving people jobs today. Man, that person needs to be doing this, that person needs to be doing that. Get involved in the church. Get involved in the church. We are the body of Christ. Anybody been on a mission trip? This is my last point. Anybody been on a mission trip? Whether it's stateside or across stateside? Kathy has, and you guys have. Who was blessed? Those people you've seen or... I'm telling you what, I don't care whether you go to Mexico or Syria, whatever else, where we talk to places is, if you will get involved in other people's lives, Tammy and I are involved with the Eunice's life, we're over there today, I got to be the blessing, man, what a, it was more of a blessing for me to be able to stand there in front of those people and pray than I think for those people who had me there. I was one blessed. If we get involved in other people's lives, I promise you they will be blessed, and the blessing will fall back tenfold on you. I promise you that. It's, people's lives are messy. They're hard. I, I understand all that. But we're, we're here to lift each other up and, and to lift each other up and to create disciples for Jesus Christ. That's our whole purpose in life. And so my question is, my question is, is how are you doing? How are you doing? Are you accepted Christ? Are you involved in his mission? Let us pray. Dear Lord, our Heavenly Father, Lord, we just... Come and humble ourselves before you, Lord. And Lord, we just ask you to continue to be with us. Show us our errors and show us how we can be involved in your mission. Amen.